Hello and welcome to the Congleton Town Football Club podcast. It's been a weather-disrupted week for the Bears. Even the Sun Hat Villas and Resort Stadium couldn't survive the winter weather. So Congleton's FA Vars game against Lincoln United has been rearranged for this Saturday. Tuesday night's Midland League Cup fixture at Whitchurch Allport was also called off because of a waterlogged pitch. Thankfully, this week's podcast has beaten the weather and we'll be hearing from striker Brian Barton, who re-signed for the Bears earlier this season. He's one of the local players who grew up and lives in the town, but as you'll hear, his career hasn't been without its challenges. So, Brian, first of all, welcome to the Congleton Town Football Club podcast. It's nice to be finally invited on. I was waiting for an invite. I thought maybe it must be for the Christmas special. So how much are you enjoying being back at Congleton Town? I've always probably wanted to play in non-league-wise, obviously local lad. The first time I, I didn't really see eye to eye with who was in charge at the time. Well, not off the pitch, just on it. didn't didn't work out. And then I just went playing for, for Dav instead, which is now the, obviously the reserves, but at the time it was just Congleton Vale. And then I came back the second time and uh, Duff's decided to sign Tom Pope. So that was me... Uh, <laughs> Probably not going to get much game time. So finally to come back and, and actually be making a sort of impression on the right way of what I actually want to do is uh, is good. Because for you, this is your hometown club. You don't get much more local than this. You grew up in the town, you went to school in the town and you still live in the town. So from, from your perspective, you can't really get more local than this. I literally could walk to the ground within five minutes. It's great. Obviously, the away uh, ties at the minute are a little bit further than what probably would have expected but when you've only met traveling five minutes for training and five minutes for games you don't mind a, an hour and a half on a Saturday the odd the odd trip down to Bewley or wherever else it's a bit further. So let's talk about your career and we've actually known each other since primary school so I know from a, an early age you've always been involved in football and, and really interested in, in football. What are your earliest memories of playing football? I remember Solely from seven, really. My nan bangs on and tells me she took me to, to which was Congleton Town back when they first probably set up the kids when I was five and six, but I can't really remember that. Vale Juniors started when you're seven. And to be honest, they were a really good setup. I don't know what it's like now because obviously I've not, not had to go down that route, but it was a really good setup at the time and they had some really strong teams. I mean, our team had obviously Dan, Dan Needham in it, who's obviously playing at the same level as me, but a couple of lads that and played for pro. There was one lad that played for Scotland. He's in local lad, Ross, played for Scotland in his in his age group, sort of 16, 18, and dropped out of football. Another lad, Matty Gillam, he played for Rochdale and I think he played in Ireland for a bit as well. So within one age group, you had sort of three, four lads that were, have gone on to play really good standards. You mentioned there Dan Needham and you played with him at Vale Juniors and through your time at Congleton High School as well. Do you think that helps now that you are playing together, that you have played for so many years together and you just kind of know each how each other plays? Yeah, I mean, I will big Dan up now. He'll be happy for this, but he never really got looked at as a kid and he never, he had the odd little little spell at trials and whatnot and stuff, but he was... One that sort of slipped in my eyes, slipped under the radar, because obviously everyone knows he is a decent player. And he, he probably could have gone a little bit further. I think he just, for whatever reason it was, he just sort of slipped under people's radars. And out of everyone in our year now at school, and up until obviously I've just joined back, he was playing the highest standard out of everyone. So it does, it does show that sometimes that academy football isn't, isn't always the best way of getting into a decent standard of football. No, absolutely. And we've heard that on a few podcasts like George Sankey, for for example. But you were part of an academy. You moved to Port Vale's academy. Can you remember what age you were and how did that move come about? Yeah, I had a little little look at Vale and, and others when I was, they swoop up everyone, don't they? Seven, eight, stuff like that. And my mum's a single parent. So she, to get me to training week in, week out, it was a struggle. So when I had the chance a little bit older at 13... I kind of pushed it a little bit more than I did the first time around because obviously you kind of realise what rewards you can get at that age and where you really want to go with, with your life, to be honest. So I did push it and she made it work between her and my grandparents. They, they got me there week in, week out. And so from 13, obviously it's twice a week up to, which isn't far up to, up to the veil. But yeah, it was, it was what I wanted to do at the time. 
And what were your experiences like? We've heard from a few players from Congleton now about their experiences of, of being part of academies, including actually at Port Vale. What was it like for you developing through their academy? I couldn't fault it, to be honest. I, uh, I never had a bad, bad running with anyone. I never had a bad coach. I never had anything. I thought it was really, for the standard of football, obviously, that they are at, they're not at the top of the game, but they're, for the little funding and stuff they probably have compared to other professional clubs, I can't really fault it. I, I enjoyed my time there. What did you feel like you learned the most? Because you went all the way up to the reserves team, I think, in terms of famous better. What did you feel that you, you learned as a player, maybe even as a person as well? As a player, as they do, they teach you how to play properly, how to play out from the back, all of that stuff. And I've never been the most technical player even now, I, I haven't I haven't learned anything over my years, really, but I've always been sort of brute strength and ignorant sort of player. And I think that's what got me as far as it did, to be honest. It was the things that they couldn't teach that that really helped me get as far as I did. Whereas someone like, like Maka, who's got a great footballing brain, who was in my obviously in my youth team as well, he, he got as far as he did because of his technical ability. And they taught me how to use my strengths in a way that would help me progress as a player they just took me on to a side and said look to do well you need to use what you've got naturally not what you need to learn this and you can use this with a ball and you can do that with a ball use what you've got and use that to your strengths and it got me so far so I can't I can't fault them with that thought that they gave me because I think it really did work what sort of qualities do you think you have as a striker and, and kind of as a player bit of a yard dog <laughs> that's what I get told a lot of the time just being a little uh, a little rat around everybody and go and put people go and put your body where sometimes the opposition really don't want you to put them and they don't want you to put yourself and go and really get in get in people's faces. Probably an old school kind of way of looking at it compared to now, but like I say, it's never done me any harm of how I've, uh, how far I've got because I have played some really decent standards at the time at times, so it has done me well. And your age group at Port Vale, from memory, was quite successful. They won quite a few trophies and cups and things. Yeah, yeah, we won um, when they take you on tours away and stuff. As kids, you do like the same as you do at school. They do obviously do one in the summer holidays with you. I think it was at 14. We went to France. And it's a decent standard. There's some decent academies there from all over. I think Holland, sort of France, Belgium. Obviously, a couple from the UK. We won that. And then I think we won one, a local one, a bit younger maybe, sort of 12, 13. We won, we won that. Um, but we did well even in sort of the Staff Senior Cup, which obviously you see the, the teams now going to Ecclesure get beat. I mean, I think we got to the, for the, to the final once as a very young Vale side. It was basically the youth team they put out and we got to the Staff Senior Cup final. I can't remember the score, but I think we got beat a couple or 2-1 or something like that. It wasn't like we got a C and 2. We really held its own against the against the men's teams, even in pre-season and stuff, when they'd send the young lads. We really did all the zone. I remember we beat Leak a few times. We beat Kids Grove and, and teams that are obviously a decent standard of football. And we, we did hold the zone against them. Also, as I mentioned, you are part of the reserves team as well. And I think at the time you were playing alongside experienced pros. I think Michael Brown might have been had a bit of game time with the reserves. Chris Eagles as well, I think, was played a few games as well. What was that experience like and how big of a learning curve was that for you playing with these senior pros? Michael Brown's probably the best coach I've ever been under, to be honest. He really knew how to man-manage people as a coach. Obviously, it didn't work for him as a manager at Vale, but he really knew what coaching-wise, he knew what to say and what to get out of people and how to get out of them during a game. So instead of having to obviously wait till half-time or wait till full-time, he could just look at you or say something on the pitch to you half an hour in and you'd, you'd know what you needed to do and how you needed to do it to then go on and get the better of your opponent on the day. It was really good. You look back now, I think, and realise what it was like, what how good of an opportunity it was. I think at the time, when you're such a young lad, sometimes you don't realise how good they have been or how prolific of a pro they've been or whatever. You don't really realise it at the time. But now looking back... I can't ask for much more, to be honest. And I guess there were some familiar faces who would have been part of Port Vale. At the time, was Richard Duffy and Anthony Griffith, were they both there as well? And could you tell straight away that they might go on then to go on into being a coach? I was actually in Duffy's uh, UA4A session. (laughs) 
I think Maka might have been as well, to be honest. I can't remember if it was the year after Maka had left or not. But yeah, um, Griff was a little bit before my time. He was sort of still in the probably the 15s, 14s, 15s, 16s. But when he was at the Vale, obviously you saw him play. Sometimes you had a game at home. You, as in the part of the academy, you just stick around and watch the game. We've seen him play loads of times. But um, I was there with Duff and Dicko, to be fair. Dicko was there when I was there. Popey, obviously, who's moved on from Congleton last year. He was he was another one that was at the Vale when we were there. Loads and loads of lads that you see now in the non-league were the pros when I was at Scholar or in the, in the reserves. And you can tell, like I say, with Duff, he, he, obviously I was in his UA4A licence anyway, but you could tell how he played and how he sort of instructed people about that that's the kind of route we probably wanted to go down. Obviously didn't know him well, because obviously the first team and the youth team, they keep himself obviously apart from each other, but... I mean, I trained a few times with him. I think probably more with Duff's than anyone because I think Duff's, he was still out there when I was when I was there for sort of my third year and in the reserves and stuff. And I think I trained with him more than anyone, but it was it's just a great opportunity to play around full-time footballers all the time, as you are when you're a scholar and in the reserves. You, you are full-time as well, so it's a great opportunity. So you mentioned there about being part of Richard Duffy's UEFA 8 licence. Are you a licensed coach as well? I've just got my level two, which you obviously get as part of your scholarship. And to be honest, when I was going to pack in a couple of years ago, playing-wise, I did have a little think about maybe going down the coaching badges. But with personal work, it takes a lot of time. And at the minute, probably haven't got the, the time to put into it to really give it a good go. So I will probably go down that route, to be honest. I will probably want to. With obviously, I've just obviously got a little lad and stuff. He'll probably want to be playing and stuff. So if I can help him along, if that if that helps, obviously I will. If I'm told told otherwise by him when he's older, I'm sure uh, he'll tell me what he really thinks. Already, he's got a decent strike of the ball. Yeah, he's probably got a better first touch than me. I'll be honest. <laughs> and you mentioned there how you there was a stage where you did pack it in 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 your words, and we'll come back to to that a little bit later on. But the, the, a theme of this podcast, I think, will be the fact that you've been incredibly unlucky with injuries. Was it at Port Vale? I think it was quite a crucial time for you in terms of your next stages. Was this when you did your first injury with your ACL? Yeah, I tore me cruciate the session after they offered the scholarships out <laughs> so they offered them out on the on the Wednesday we all went in early I think they offered so many on the Wednesday and then so many on the Friday so I went up on the Wednesday got offered the, the scholarship so I was obviously you think you've made it you think you've done it <laughs> that's it. the be all and end all you're over the moon and then the following like two days later we went to training and I just went to press the, the centre half and next thing I was lay on the floor and Unfortunately, it told me cruciate, but obviously they did look after me and they said, look, we will we'll still let you on the scholarship. We'll extend it a year. So it will be sort of three years instead of two. I'm glad they did because obviously otherwise I would have only had 12 months at really having a go. Uh, I still sort of probably had just over two years, to be honest, because by the time I was back, I was still part of the first year. So I was lucky enough to um, to have that opportunity given to me by the youth team coaches and the, and the head of academy at the time. Obviously, no player wants any kind of injury, particularly one as serious as that. How big of a setback was that for you? Because as I mentioned, it was a big time for you in terms of your next stages and your development. I think because I was 16 and probably because I was 16 and you don't really understand life and and you, you still are a kid, aren't you, really, at 16? It probably didn't affect me that time. The second time was probably a different story, but... The first time, yeah, I was. I think because they were so honest with me and said, "Look, we'll give you that extra extra year. We'll sort it out." Because it was, it got really awkward with how because obviously you get X amount of money off the PFA as a scholar. Because I was going past a certain age, with me being quite an older one in the year, Vale had to pay me a subsidised fee off the PFA, and it got really technical. But because they went out of, out of the way and sorted all that for me, it sort of settled my head. Because I thought they must want to. To give me the opportunity, you must see something. So, to be honest, it probably didn't really affect me as much as people might think that time round. But yeah, the second time was a different story. That that yeah, a bit, little bit harder. <laughs> yeah. Before we come on to that, I just want to mention as well during your time at Port Vale, I think you also had loan spells at Kidsgrove Athletic and Stafford Rangers. How important were were they for you in in terms of getting out and playing senior football? Yeah, the the Kidsgrove one was a little bit sort of rushed. If I'm honest, I think they had injury bit of an injury crisis and me being the oldest scholar at the time they they came in and said look we're looking for for a centre forward 
So I didn't really play that many minutes, to be honest. I think it was a little bit rushed. But it was an eye-opener because it still would have been the first time I'd been in a proper men's sort of environment. The kit's different, and the water bottles aren't filled up for you and all of that stuff that you would just probably get used to it being normal. You kind of go, oh, right, this is what it's it's really like. So even though the football side of it didn't probably get as much out of it as a white two, off the pitch I probably learned a hell of a lot more than I thought I would have. From the Stafford Rangers perspective, that happened after? Yeah, that was that was really good, to be honest. I was sorted out properly and that was me asking to go and play. Because of the Kids Grove 1 not working out, I then said, well, can I go and try somewhere else then? And I did. I think it was about six weeks there because it was right near the end of the year. Like I learned some really sort of life lessons there because it was a very experienced side. They had a lot of, I think it was about three lads that had been at Vale prior as a, as pros. And then the lads that hadn't been pro were sort of 28, 29, 30. So I was, it's like a an 18-year-old, 19-year-old lad. I, I really had my eyes open, to be honest. You realise you're not, you're not quite as the be-all and end-all as this player as you may think you are. And it really sort of uh, humbled me a little bit, to be honest. And uh, I mean, I did well when I was there. I did score a couple and I realised the physicality side compared to reserve football, because reserve football is quite false. You've got lads that are trying to impress, but then you've got pros that are, don't really want to be playing because they want to be playing for the first team. So there's no real competition in it. Whereas you go to non-league football and three points is, makes everyone's weekend. Do you know what I mean? They People are really wanting to either stay up or go up and that was the real sort of first time I came across sort of competition in men's football It was re- I really enjoyed it there it was a great club they get some real good following as well I mean one week we played Hensford and there was about 1400 there so obviously as as a 19 year old lad you're like oh wow it's actually uh, it's quite a big uh, quite a big crowd this <laughs> it was in a big quite not a big stadium but a bigger stadium and obviously we're used to being filled up normally you play in the stadiums that are empty when on a Wednesday afternoon playing resi football. So, yeah, it was really good. I really did enjoy my time at Stafford. And obviously, sadly, things didn't work out at Port Vale and and you, you did leave. What was that moment like? And actually, what were the next few months like for you? Because am I right in saying that this was when you were going to go and play in America? And obviously, that was also the time when the second ACL happened. So what were those next few months like for you? I mean, to be honest, I probably saw the end of the contract coming. I was properly in favour. I mean, I was captain of the resis a few times, playing against some decent players as well. And the manager got sacked or left. I think he left before he was going to get sacked. Uh, And then to be fair, Michael Brown got the job and he was dead honest from the start. He knew what he wanted. He knew where he wanted to take the club. And I knew that what the kind of players he wanted wasn't who I was, basically. And he ended up signing Popey back from Bury. So obviously I knew that that was the kind of route he was going. And obviously I'm only five foot, I'll say five foot nine. The lads will probably tell me I'm shorter than that. But obviously Popey's a very target man, isn't he? That's the kind of play he was looking for. And, and Brownie wasn't rude with it or anything like that. So I sort of knew that it was coming. Obviously when it actually comes, it does hit home that you're not going to be probably playing football every day for the rest of your life but obviously I had an opportunity to go through the exit trials and all that malarkey I was lucky to be offered a scholarship in America to go to New York for two years and then Miami for two years because I came out of the veil and I lost sort of interest in in playing a little bit and I went round here there and everywhere you go on trials at 30 different clubs and you don't really enjoy it because you're just turning up on a Tuesday with a load of lads you don't know and then going home no one contacts you no one does anything because they don't know you and then you don't quite, you think, oh, I'm not going back there because it's so far or I didn't like the, the lads or I didn't feel like I was involved because you're only there for an hour on a Tuesday night. And then you end up doing that five or six times with different clubs. Uh, and I ended up dropping from obviously playing reserve football to, to Cheshire League football within, well, three months of an off-season, basically. Uh, and then obviously the opportunity came up to go to America. So I stopped the pre-season with Conlon Vale and then probably daft, <laughs> to be honest. Dav rang me up, the reserves team manager rang me up and said, do you fancy playing Saturday? We're, we're bare 11. So I said, yeah, it'd be good to get a few minutes in before I fly on Thursday, thinking I knew I was going to probably go into a tough pre-season over there with how much they're into the fitness and stuff. And six minutes into the game, I jumped over the keeper, landed and tore me over ACL. <laughs> so it was at that point where it probably did it home more than any other injury. 
because I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't. I'd left my job. I'd left. I'd spent all my savings on flights and visas and TV to take with me and all the rest of it. And I just thought, what? What am I going to do? Knew I had no job. Knew I had no money left because I'd spent it all on on all these things. Obviously, I was lucky enough. I was still at home, so it didn't. Obviously, financially, it didn't affect me that badly. But that probably hit home and was probably a struggle mentally than more than anything I've ever had to probably deal with, to be honest. And you were only, what was it, 20 at, at the time? And not only from a football perspective, but obviously that's completely changed your plans, of, your life plans, basically. So for someone who was so young at the time, how do you deal with, with, with that? Because I remember seeing you not long after, and I remember in true Brian Barton style, you were just a case of, I'll come back stronger and fitter. But was that actually what you're thinking inside I think some days it, it was true, that's what I thought. And then other days, I think if someone asked me, I'd just say it because I knew it was the right answer, as, as you'd probably try and tell yourself. I mean, I just, just didn't do anything for, obviously, waiting for the op and stuff. I just sort of stayed at home. I didn't do anything. Like I didn't, obviously, everyone was working or, or still playing or whatever. All my mates were working or, or at uni or whatever. And I was sort of just didn't have anything to do. So I just had to try and pull in any sort of contacts I did physio wise. Luckily, I did know a couple of lads that were obviously full time physios. So I did do a little bit on the side with them to try and sort of help myself out as best I could. But it was a lot harder to get through the physio and the rehab with not being full-time, because obviously the first time around, I was lucky enough to have a physio every day. This time, it was off my own back. So obviously, when I got back into work and got went and got a job, finding the time to then go to the gym and do 100 squats or whatever you have to do, it was it was difficult. But like you say, you do get through it and you do just grit your teeth and, and that drive to go and play again. Obviously, some people don't have that choice. but And well, that choice, I say, that that drive to go and do it, they, they do let it beat them and they give up. But I was determined to go and play a little bit more because, like you said, I was only 20, so I didn't really want to give up what I'd put most of my life into at 20 years of age. So what was next for you in terms of your playing career? Was this when you returned to Congleton Vale? Was that the next step? Yeah, I just went back playing there because I just wanted to play football. And at the time, I was working away. So I was away Monday to Friday couldn't train anywhere, so no one would really have a look at you because you couldn't come to training. And Dad just said, look, if you want to come and play football, yeah, you might not play every minute because you're away and you're not coming to training, but we'll have you to come and play. And I mean, I was probably five, six kilos, probably more heavier than what I am now because obviously I was just, I wasn't doing anything. I was working away, turning up on a Saturday and then doing what every non-league footballer does on a Saturday night and goes out. I wasn't, <laughs> so I wasn't really doing anything enough to keep myself fit. And I don't know if I was a little bit because I probably wasn't over the injuries. So I wasn't mentally putting myself in the right place to go and play at a decent level. And then I just had a little word to myself, to be honest, and said, look, I know I probably could play a bit higher than this. So come on, let's go and try. You may as well. You're only 21, 22, whatever it was at the time. I said, I'm going to go and try and go and play a bit higher. So that's what I did. How difficult was it to make that next step and to find that club? Because was it the lockdown period as well that probably hindered what you were trying to do? To be honest, that probably helped because you had to go out and do it for a run to actually go outside. <laughs> so I, I was lucky enough that one of my mates was was doing the same and he wanted to go and play a little bit higher. So we'd meet up and do a, a 5K most days. So luckily I shifted a lot of the weight that I had put on, probably just put myself in a bit of a dip because of the injuries and stuff, I sort of come out the other side of lockdown probably fitter than I've been since I was at Vale, to be honest. And that helped massively because of the, the way I do play. If I am carrying a bit too much weight, then obviously it does hinder me in quite a severe way. So, yeah, daft as it seems, everyone else probably got hindered by lockdown, but it probably helped me, to be honest. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and was this when you then joined Hanley Town? Yes. So I went from Congleton to... Probably a bit out of my comfort zone. I just knew a couple of lads there. Maccabee and one, and then another lad that was our youth team, Tom Ashton. He was at Hanley at the time as well, and he gave me a text, said, why don't you just come down and give it a go pre-season? So, which is what I did, and obviously it did pay off. We had a decent little season there, and then obviously it all changed on the board and stuff at Hanley, so I did only have one one year there. It was a great club at the time, and it obviously it's still a great club. Now, they're obviously doing really well themselves this year. We had a really good Good group, to be honest. Really good group. The manager was a great, 
great bloke, Mickey. Obviously, you all will know him anyway with his time at, he did at Congleton. He knew how to deal with, with local lads, to be honest. And that's what really kept us probably as, as successful as we were that year. I was at Hanley. That was probably the reason why, because it was, you could have thrown a blanket over their group other than me, really, and Dan, who were just at Congleton was sort of the outside, the outside, really. It was, it was a really close-knit group. And of course, there's one moment in particular that I've got to ask you about during your time at Hanley Town. I know this probably comes up in pretty much every interview you do. And that was in the, the preliminary round of the FA Cup in September 2020. What are your memories of that goal? Because it was named the goal of the preliminary round. Yeah, I didn't really think much of it, to be honest, when I, when you score. Because obviously it's middle of a game, you don't really take it in. And then I came off, obviously got on my phone and my phone had gone mad. So it, I just had like... I didn't really use Twitter much other than to check the non-league scores. I didn't get about 30 followers on Twitter and had about 100 notifications. I was like, well, something's going on. <laughs> Obviously, didn't didn't think it had been recorded because it wasn't as common for the VO to be on a few years ago. It's Obviously, now everyone's got one, haven't they? But at the time, I didn't, didn't think it had been, been recorded. But I just remember someone screaming to me to keep hold of the ball. <laughs> and obviously, I ignored them and <laughs> decided to just go for go on a bit of a mad run and uh, and tap it home. But yeah, it was it was a bit weird until after the game and I went on Twitter and realised that it had been recorded and put onto the FA Cup page. Uh, I think it had some daft like 80,000 views in the end. It was just a bit crazy. Probably one of my, my best memories in the non-league, to be honest. That's what I was going to ask you, actually. How special was that moment and where does it kind of rank in your career? It's got to be up there. I think personal like goals... It's probably up there with with the best. I had another one that year that was is quite a big for the team. It was last minute winner in the Vars that took us. I think it was as far as Hanley had got at the time to sort of reach their record in the Vars. So, which is obviously up there, but in a different way because that was it was more for for the team that was. So it, it does rank slightly different. You put it in sort of a slightly different draw. But yeah, the the goal in the FA Cup is probably up there with the best. I'll probably ever score to be honest. <laughs> And it was the way that you got the ball in your own half. You skipped past one defender. It looked as though for, for one moment when I was watching the video back, actually you were going to lose the ball when you were backed into the corner by two defenders and somehow spun around them and managed to score from a tight angle. Do you feel like that goal encapsulated all your strengths as a player with the speed, the determination, the tenacity, the way that you can play with your back to goal? Did you feel like that goal showcased your strengths as a player? Yeah, to be honest, because everyone will say, if you ask anyone, talk me through Brian Barton goal, they'll say, it's hit his knee, he's dribbled through four lads, it's hit his shin, and then he's tackled the keeper and gone in. So, to be honest, yeah, it did. That's what I was going down to before, saying I've never been technically the best player in the world, but I have the sort of the brute force and ignorance to sort of get out of tight areas at times and just bully past people at times. Obviously, the older you get, the harder it gets because you do slow down a little bit. But um, yeah, it was probably just a great memory to look back at. If I, if I, I never really look at it, you see, no one ever, uh, no one ever really makes me look at it. <laughs> but yeah, um, in time, obviously, when when my little lad gets older and stuff, I can, I can go back to moments like that and say, look, this is what, this is what you've got to try and do. This is what you've got to try and beat. <laughs> do you think? Your time at Hanley, like you said, it was only one season. But do you think that was an important period for you, looking back on it? The fact that after lockdown, after everything you'd been the, the previous years, this was your first season back at senior football at a, a I think it was Northwest Counties level, was it? At, yeah, at that it stage, counties. do you think that was an important season for you? Yeah, I think that's what made me realise that I still had a little bit of my ability after the injuries, because it does take. I mean, obviously, I was I used to be a lot quicker than I am now prior to the injuries. And I think getting back to that fitness and realising that I could still do it was probably a bit of a mental block because I probably used to tell myself, you've got no chance, you've had two and a half years out just purely on the physio bed. So it it did probably make me realise that you could probably go and do this again. And um, like I say, it obviously didn't work out only because they had a big, big change up of how things were running. They didn't ask me to leave. I just decided to follow Mickey to Congleton at the time. But yeah, it was it was a great a great year and some great memories. We had a good run in both cups. I think I think we were mid table in the league, but we had some great 
great days out and you know like for the away days and stuff and some really good memories as a group after some big big results at, at the time to be honest some really big results and as you mentioned you then joined Congleton the following summer uh, made a few sub appearances before deciding to move on and sign for Sambach. Was that just a case of just wanting game time and just playing regular football? Yeah, like I mentioned before, obviously, Popey obviously stopped playing at the same time that I joined. And I just remember training at Conklin High School and when Tom Pope turned up for training and everyone was like, what's he doing here? <laughs> Which obviously no one was expecting him because they thought obviously at the time he could probably still play I think he probably could have still played a lot higher. I think he had a lot of offers to go and play higher. He just wanted to play a little bit like when I dropped, obviously it's a bit completely different, but when I went and played for the Rezies, I just wanted to go and play and go back to try and enjoy it. And I think if you speak to him, he would say the same. He dropped down the levels as far as he did because he wanted to go and find that enjoyment. So obviously when he came in, I knew that, obviously I'm not stupid, I knew that he was going to play majority of the football and I just got back into playing, so I wanted to, if it meant dropping down again a division, then I was going to play. And Sandbach wanted me to join, to be honest, they wanted me to join a month or so before I went. They wanted me to sign, similar time to when Stan Tatters moved on from Congland. They wanted me to go at the same time, and I sort of tried to, to hold out, maybe just, like you say, for your local team. And But in the end, yeah, it was just to go and play regular football and continue enjoying it. Because you know, I didn't want to go sitting on the bench again and lose that that enjoyment that I've just finally got back after so many years of injury and stuff. So yeah, it was just to play at a decent standard for as long as possible. That's that's the aim I think everyone wants to do. So it was really it was a really good move at the time for myself. And when he did sign for Sandbach, you couldn't have asked for a better start. A goal on your debut. Yeah, and that was a typical Brian Barton goal. I tackled the keeper, um, ran at the keeper. He tried to go around me, I tackled him, and scored. So yeah, it was. Um, and if I remember rightly, it was against Swimming Amateurs who actually went on. They were up there that year. So for so much to beat them at home, it was it was a decent result at the time because I think they had been struggling. I think they had a few injuries and a couple of people had been suspended and stuff prior to me joining. So I think they'd had a couple of bad bad results. So to beat someone who was up there at the time, it was it was decent for them. Obviously, we'll talk about how the season ended for you again. It wasn't the ending that you would have wanted. But looking back on, on the, the, the games that you played, 13 goals, a number of ma- another match awards. This, again, felt like a big season for you as well. Yeah, because I had had a little bit of niggly stuff from, obviously, the previous ACLs and stuff. I had a couple of injuries, hamstrings and stuff that kept me out for two, three weeks at a time. So for me to score, I think I played sort of 23, 24 games in a season. I think I hadn't done that since I was about 15 because of injuries and stuff. So it for me... I thought I was getting somewhere. I really did. Obviously, to just scoring goals is, is what you'd say a striker's job is to do anyway. So I don't, I don't look back and think I should have scored more or I should have scored less because, I, in my opinion, if you're a striker and you're playing majority, you should you should be getting 15, 20 anyway. That's what you're there to do. In the twenty odd games I did play, so I was quite happy with my thirteen goals. But yeah, like you say, it didn't end brilliantly again, <laughs> to be honest. No, it certainly didn't. And we'll mention the other ACL um, rupture. Uh, before we do, there's just one goal I want to talk about in particular. Um, and I imagine this one might be particularly special for, for you. Or I, I say goal, more of a game and a, and a day. And that was you're playing at home to Abby Halton. You were the captain of Sambach at the time. You led out the, the, the team carrying your son, uh, Theo, who was four or five months at, at the time. And in the game itself, you scored a hat-trick in, in that game. How special of a day was that for you? And we, we spoke earlier about where things ranked in, in your career. This day and game must be up there with the most memorable because of the family connections as well. Just how special of a day was that for you? Yeah, like you say, the, the FA Cup goal obviously goes down up there as probably the best goal I've scored. But in non-league, in my, so far, the non-league journey I've had that day, you can't top it because even if I hadn't scored, just because of the whole... I mean, the paper was there because it was the, I think it was the, the sponsors' day at Sandbach. So there was a big crowd anyway. Um, and they get the papers down because obviously everyone who sponsored the club that year has a little bit in the paper, whatever. So we were lucky to have it on the back page of the Chronicle, a picture of me and Amenithia. And as a dad, you can't top them moments. And I think the lads at town will say the same if Dave and whoever else has ever had their lads on the pitch. Chad has just had a little, little and auntie and they they will say the same. You, you can't beat them 
them moments with your kids because you don't play forever. So when you get a moment like that and a special touch of, yeah, don't get me wrong, it's great to score a hat-trick. But him being able to tell us, he won't remember it, obviously, but we can all tell him, obviously, as a family, how, how good of a day it was and how that was the first time he'd ever come. So it wasn't just like it was a big day because he'd come on the pitch. I think I think it, it might have been his second time, but yeah, he'd, he'd not really been to the football before because he was so young. So it was just a perfect day. And you've gone from the perfect day then to not the way you wanted to end the season. This happened a few weeks later and you injured your ACL again. Did you know straight away what had happened? Yeah, it was unfortunately a tackle this time. It wasn't a bad tackle. It was the lad's not gone to do me or anything like that. He just the ball broke. I took a f- touch forwards. He's chased back and just sort of poked him from the side more than anything. I mean, Sandbach's lads thought it was a bad tackle at the time, but look back on the video and stuff. And he's won the ball, but my leg was was planted, and he sort of come through my knee to poke the ball, and I knew straight away. I knew this. I knew the second time. Straight away as well, because the if anyone that's done it will tell you that the noise it makes is quite sort of sticks in your mind. So we just say it's not the nicest of noises. So um I knew straight away what had happened. The physio was trying to keep me positive. No, I don't think it is, but I knew. So at that point, my head really did fall off, to be honest. It was that's it now. I mean, I was 20, 24, maybe. So to have done three by twenty-four, I think. Might have to get Guinness World Book of Records down, to be honest. I think it's uh, it's probably up there with uh, a decent ratio of years to ACLs. But, yeah, I knew straight away. And I just uh, I just didn't know how to deal with it that time around, to be honest. It was really tough, really tough. Because, again, at that point, I had a kid. So the financial thing did hit a hell of a lot harder than it did the first time. And I think, to be honest, luckily that I've got a decent family and stuff around me. So we did get through it together. But it was uh, it was tough. Really tough that time around. And a few weeks later, you did announce your retirement from playing, but you were going to transition into coaching. How difficult a decision was that to kind of make? Like you say, you were only 24 at the time. Yeah, it was It was more a family decision, as in not that my family forced me to stop. It was more that I had a family that I had to provide for. Obviously, my missus was still on maternity leave so she wasn't working i we just obviously just bought the house and it was all all on me to pay the pay the bills at the time so i said well if this happens again and it, for some whatever reason it can't be fixed as easily or as quick as this time around i'm going to be stuffed so it was more that side of things more than not wanting to play it was just a financial security to go out there and provide for your family is more important than playing football on a Saturday and that's the be all and end all of it that that's the decision I thought at the time was the best thing to do but then I made the decision through seeing a, a few different physios and stuff and speaking to other people that had done it like sort of a retear and I didn't have the operation the third time so instead of having it reconstructed I just built the muscles up around the ACL that a lot of people now will say is the better option. And if anyone ever asked me, obviously it was a younger lad than me or, or older, who, who was unlucky enough to do the injury, I would probably tell them to go down that route than surgery because, in my opinion, it's probably it's probably the better option, in my personal view. So because of that, we ended up uh, swapping from coaching back to football. But yeah, just the financial side, that was why we made that tough decision to stop as a, as a family. Because, like I say, you've got to su- support another person when you've got kids. And it's not just as easy of selfishness of going and playing football because you want to play football. You've got to pay the bills at the end of the day. And that's what is the most important thing. You did have a spell of coaching. Do you think that helped your own game? Yeah, massively. I realised how much more you see from the side than you do when you're playing. And it made me realise how to use my body as a player and how to affect the other person, so instead of maybe just jumping for the ball because you think you can head it, maybe just back in a little bit more. And you see it from a different perspective. And when you're trying to explain it to someone else, you have to go out of your own head and think like somebody else. So you take every perspective of every small part and you don't just worry about what's the striker doing. You've got to worry about every individual player on a pitch and try and get the best out of everybody. And it probably helped me 
to come out of I've obviously always been out of my shell off the pitch, but on the pitch I'm quite quiet really. I'm not I'm not a ball and a, sh- and a shouter. I, I sort of quite quite quiet. And I think the coaching side made me come out of that football quietness. I've never been a ball and shouter on a pitch really. I just sort of leave that for off the pitch. <laughs> but yeah, um it made really made me think and look at everything in a complete different perspective. What changed for you in terms of the reason why you then returned to the pitch? Obviously, you're, you're playing now. What was it that changed that led you to returning to playing? It was losing on a Saturday and feeling like you couldn't affect it. So I'd be going home in, in vile moods, like worse than I was playing. And my other half, she was like, you can't keep going. You do my head in. <laughs> you are doing my head in. You can't keep coming back like this. And then there was a lad at Sandbach, Josh Klein-Davis. I started doing a bit of training. So when we were short, just to stay fit and stuff, I was just sort of joining in with training. And he said to me, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you just playing? And I was like, mate, I can't. My knees, are, my knees are short, I can't. He was like, mate, you're 25. Your knees will be shot in 30 regardless. Like, go and play. You're joining in with training and you look like you want to play, so do it. It was weeks. He was trying to push me into doing it for weeks and weeks. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And then I went home and said to Daisy, I said, look, I think I might go back playing. And I thought I was going to get <laughs> the keys handed to me and, um, and told to leave. But she just went, go and do it then. If it makes you happy, go and do it. So I had the green light at home, as they say, and I had the green light from the lads that wanted me to play anyway. So I just said to myself, well, I haven't had the op. So it can't go again. <laughs> so why not just do the work off the pitch, strengthening it up and take my time and go back slowly, which I did the back end of the, the year after, which was obviously last season. I, I just sort of played 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there. I think I started one or two games, just half a game here and half a game. And it, I was a lot more mature with trying to go back into it instead of just being naive and throwing myself back in and going gung-go. I took my time and went in slowly. And then, like I say, it's took me to where I am now. Take us back to that moment when you returned to the pitch and scored for the first time since you made the return to the pitch. What was that feeling and moment like? It was actually my first touch, but it didn't count because they blew for offside. So I just remember scoring, dropping to my knees, just like, get in, look to the side, and the liner had his flag up. And I just remember everyone like, being gutted like I just remember looking and I saw a couple of mates dads on the side they had the head in their hands and all the lads were like no <laughs> um, but then ended up did score in that game a couple of minutes later and you just feel like you're normal again to be honest you just feel like yeah this is what it's right I've made the right decision uh, I'm glad I've done it Obviously you ended the season at Sandbach and you started the season there before moving to Congleton how do you reflect on your time at Sandbach? It's a great club really is a good club. It's a really family-orientated club. You could take, not that you can't take your family to, to Congleton, but the setup with, they've got there, they obviously got the, the 3G on the other side and stuff, and they've got like five or six pitches behind the pitch. So obviously if you've got kids and stuff, it's easy to just put your kids on the other pitch and let them play whilst your other half's watching or your family are watching. So it's, it is a really great club of family family club and they do do a lot for you to be honest they, they'll do anything the manager that's still there deck when I when I did do my ACL he came from all the way from Hamforth on a on a Friday afternoon after work just to drop me a couple of beers off and uh, make sure I was all right there's a couple of lads there that I'd known anyway from from times prior at Niall at Hanley Stan at Congleton and from Congleton it was hard to leave to be honest because I was probably one of the the more senior ones there compared to here. Obviously, you've got a few few older heads than me, but we were a very young side. So I think there was a, two lads maybe that were older than me, even at 25. So I was I was a big sort of a big character for them. And to step away from that and go back to, to maybe being a lesser character is probably sometimes maybe people can find it difficult because you can go in maybe a little bit too hot-headed. It was a difficult decision, but at the time, I think it was my time to move up and go and play higher if I wanted to do it because you you do run out of time in football and if I can play at a higher level for as, as long as possible, then that's what I wanted to do. When you returned, did you feel like you had a point to prove? 
A little bit, yeah. Because obviously I'd come last time and it just hadn't worked out. And people do remember. Uh, I remember a couple of people have said said to me in the in the clubhouse after when we signed you back, we thought, well, we've done this and we, we've tried this. It, it didn't work. So that probably opened my eyes more than what, than what I thought I needed to prove a point, to be honest, because I thought, well, people have remembered that it didn't work out for me last time. And I didn't get the, I didn't get off to the way I wanted to last time. So obviously I wanted to to do that this time round and prove that I can play, not just to myself, but prove to to the other lads and to the to the management I can play and prove prove a point in in such a good squad. Because when you come into some someone who's done so well last year in the cups and and everything else, I mean you couldn't really get much better than what they did last year in the cup wise. To step in and try and improve that is a hell of a job because. You think, well, how do you get better than winning? <laughs> so, which is obviously what they did. So, it, it's, it is hard. Um, but I think we're on. I think we're on the right track to to doing something something good this year as well. If we keep our focus every game that we play and carry on playing the, the way we are with with the lads that we've got and the depth we've got as well, I think we won't go far wrong. Hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, fingers crossed. What was it like coming into the dressing room? I know you probably knew some of the players from your previous day at Congleton or from around the local football scene. Do you think it helped that you fact that you'd been around the club and the players before? How did you find settling back in? Yeah, I mean, I knew, I think I knew everyone, everyone in there apart from the young lads, really. I'd seen Marco play when I'd gone to watch last year and stuff and, and George and stuff like that, but I didn't know them by name. If you if you if you get me, and yeah, it does make it a lot easier. Obviously, I knew that I knew Dave, and I knew everyone just likes to give Dave a bit of stick anyway. So I knew I had that little bit of uh, ammo anyway. It was really easy to just walk in, and everyone wanted to accept you in anyway because they are a good group of lads, and they just are a warming group anyway because they just want to keep everyone tight knit because they know how much it means on the pitch. And you couldn't really ask for a better start to reintroduce yourself on your home debut, two goals against Whitchurch, although it probably could have been a hat-trick if you if Danny Cox hadn't stepped up to take the penalty. That must have been pleasing, the way that you couldn't really ask for a better start. No, and I probably should have scored on my debut if the other Danny didn't didn't get his goalkeeper gloves out. But yeah, Coxie's now said he realises he probably should have given it me. Yeah, it was a great start. And obviously there's a lot there, isn't there, at home at home this year. So to do it in front of a decent crowd on a Tuesday night, I think there was over 300 people there on a Tuesday night in a, in a cold Tuesday in, in Congleton. And it's obviously it's not what most people would think you'd be doing, but they seem to put the hats on, put the gloves on and they keep coming to watch. So it was great to just hit the ground running and, like you say, prove people that it was the right decision for, for Duff to bring me in. I think it's six goals in 12 games in all competitions so far this season. And you can add a fair few assists to, to, to that tally, I think, as well. How do you reflect on your time since you rejoined the Bears? I think we've started well from when I joined. Obviously, we went unbeaten for, oh, I can't remember how many games it is now. Um, I think it was something like 11 wins in 12. I just didn't know anything other than winning when we when we came. It was it was great. So I just want us to carry on and and just try and go one further than the cups and do it in the league this year. I think that's what everyone really wants. Obviously, everyone would, would love to win the cups again as well. But realistically, I think that people are driven to really go and do it in the league this year and and prove that you can do it over a whole season is a lot more than. And I think lads will so tell you that. And I think anyone that's played at any level will say. To do it over 40 games or 38 games of a season is a lot harder than doing it in eight games in a cup. And I think it means more to people to do it in a league. I think it proves you as a squad a lot more. And I think Duff would probably back that and say that's what he really wants. And he wants to go and put Congleton probably where they, they should be. What does it mean to you to be representing your hometown club, a town that you've been involved in well, for your entire life? It's great. You, you walk down the street and people literally come up to you and be like, oh, how are you? You okay? Well played last night or hope you're fit for the weekend. Or And they, and everyone looked out for you. You just, you can be anywhere. You could be in Morrison, you could be anywhere and you and someone would, would be looking at, looking out for you. You know what I mean? They're there. For, they're there. Anyone will do anything for you in the town. And it is pride, I suppose. You you do want to do it because it is your local, your local community. And if you can put a, a smile on people's faces for doing something you love to do, then, then you can't really ask for much more. And we've obviously heard how unlucky you've been with injuries throughout your career. And we've heard from professional players how coming back from one ACL can be extremely tough. So to come back from three, 
what has kept you going and kept you wanting to play? I just don't know anything other, really. You still think, like, I think most lads that have played at Scholar or got so close and you, you never really get over it, I don't think, because obviously from seven to, to 18, you, you just dream of going and doing that. So to then have it taken, taken away from you so close and obviously I was a bit of an odd one and obviously did did that extra year. So I came pretty much as close as you possibly could without really going into the full-time pro game. So it was hard. It still is hard. You still have days where you think, oh, I could just imagine what it would be like when you when you speak to the lads that are doing it still that that you used to play with and you think, oh, I wish I was doing that sort of thing. And you, you realise that you've got to go out in a freezing cold and put lay some bricks or put some flags down or whatever it is. It's that drive to to try and get that little snippet of what you wanted to do for the whole of your life, you can still get that in the non-league. And I think that's what, what drives lads to do it till they literally can't do it anymore. I just don't want to be stopped early. I think that's more than anything. I didn't want to be stopped through injury. I'd rather have to have new knees at 50 than uh, than stop than stop now. And I think touch would it won't. But if even if the other one went again or whatever, and I really did go for four, I don't think it'd stop me. I think I'd still probably just do the rehab and go back again. If you could play alongside any player in world football, which player would you choose and why? Thierry Henry. Oh. I've from as long as I can remember. And he's just always been my favourite. Always been that sort of... Obviously, obviously Lionel Messi is the best, in my opinion, is the best player, obviously, that's ever lived. But um, watching the Premier League growing up, he was, he was my idol. So, yeah, Thierry Henry for me. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast and for sharing your journey. And it's great to see you back on the pitch and, and enjoying your football here at Congleton Town. So thanks, Brian. Cheers, Adam. Thank you very much. There's a feeling of deja vu to end this week's podcast as the men's first team and reserves have the same game scheduled as last weekend. The first team will try again to make the trip to Lincoln United for the rearranged FA Vars third round game. Safe travels to everyone heading over to Lincolnshire for that game on Saturday. The reserves game in the Cheshire Amateur Cup was also called off last weekend because of the weather. Their game against Old Olds has been rescheduled for this Saturday with a 2pm kickoff at the Cleric Stadium. If you haven't listened already, then last week's podcast included a preview to that game with reserves manager Martin Corns and former Bears defender and now Old Olds joint manager Rick Peters. The ladies' first team are away at Stockport County Development on Sunday while the ladies' reserves team are scheduled to host Newton Willows. Come on the Bears and thank you for listening to the Congleton Town Football Club podcast. Go!